Well, good morning, family. It's, uh, it's great to be here, great to be with you. Last time I got to speak to a room with a few people, and uh, it's a little different, a chance to, uh, to actually see people in person. It's a joy, again, to uh, connect. I bring uh, love from Grandview to you. I know some of you are, so every other week we seem like we're making an announcement of a new member uh, from Heritage Grace at Grandview. And there's a, a great deal of celebration, great deal of, of excitement about uh, what God is doing in our midst. And uh, just to let you know that uh, one of the things that is being celebrated is Heritage Grace as a family. We know that being a member of a church plant from a mother church, there's always sometimes a little bit of disconnect of like how do we relate with the, the, the church family there. But we do want you to know that we do love you. We pray for you and we care for this church deeply. Just the same as we've been uh, excited about how God has been working in, uh, we've been seeking God's in planting an Arabic uh, congregation in Heritage Grace, you jumped aboard and uh, gave to it. And we just want you to know that uh, right now there's about 25 people being gathered in homes right now. A, a vision to see a service planted, in an, Ar- an Arabic service planted in the new year. And God is seemingly bringing name after name, person by person, coming to this, uh, to this city and seeing a, a vision of an Arabic uh, plant that is geared for Muslims planted in our city. And, uh, and Heritage Grace, you are a part of, uh, of this vision, of a par- part of seeing a church plants uh, reaching people across uh, this great region. And I just want to encourage you that, that uh, you are loved and that you are part of something. If you could pray for Pastor Nadella. He's had uh, many attempts on his life from his family members in, in the past. And in the years uh, ago, they, somebody threw a, uh, something very heavy on his foot and crushed his foot. There's uh, bones that have been broken there, and there's been infection recently that has happened there. Would you pray for his, he's got a meeting with a surgeon to see if that can finally be fixed. There was no health care at the time, and this has been sitting there for 10, oh, 10 plus years and he's finally with infection and everything like that. He's got to get this taken care of. He's in an air cast right now. Would you pray for Pastor Nadala and it, that his the, the ministry would not be hindered in any way? So that's a, at, a, at a nutshell. Uh, like that for me, I just wanted to bring that greeting to you. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter eight this morning. I understand that you've been going through the Psalms this summer, and that Aaron and Josiah have basically given you the gambit of lament psalms. And so if you're ready for a break from lamenting this morning, I have a treat for you. I'm going to bring a little celebration to our midst. God has given me an opportunity here to share with you a celebration song uh, with you this morning. I want to read with you uh, and invite you to turn with me. We'll read this passage together. And this is the word of God, Psalm chapter 8. It says this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens, and through the praise of your children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind? that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. 
You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You've put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals in the, of the wild and the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of God to us this morning. Father, we pray and ask that your word would do its work in our hearts. Transform me, transform us. May it uh, raise in us a, a heart cry of dependence and surrender. May we celebrate you this morning. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we begin this morning, I want to start by thinking about greatness. You know, we're celebrating right now athletes in uh, Tokyo, Olympics. We celebrate a great deal of accomplishments, great, and we, we do this through accolades. We, we praise them, deservedly so, because they've disciplined them, their bodies to achieve the best performances that they could. And human greatness is not only in the domain of athletics or sports, we we often think of greatness and attach authority to this. We think of people in the world, human leaders, politicians, kings and queens. And they don't hold as much weight as maybe in past generations, but we do attach authority to them. And we describe them in terms of, that was a great leader. You know, growing up in, in school, I always heard the name Winston Churchill. I just heard that name over and over again. You watched a few movies. And the people would describe him as a great leader. We look into the realm of artists. Artists, unique painters, dancers, musicians. And they're often glorified. They're, they're, they're talking about, well, that, that was a majestic performance, right? That's the, that's the language that is given here. Uh, a majestic performance. And we give out this word, and they're glorified for their particular giftedness. In our human world, greatness is celebrated. Is not, right? But we can't help but comment, if we were to look at greatness, but we, at the same time, is to comment on the fleeting nature of greatness. Fortune 500 companies uh, have, over time, faded when a great leader sometimes retires, right? You know, uh, we sometimes see a great workplace environment dissipate or leave, uh, be not called great anymore because the former leaders have passed on to different places. A once great athlete is no longer able to keep up with that 20-year-old body anymore, right? Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, choose your sport. One day, time came, came calling, and they were no longer great anymore. They had to retire, right? The death of a famous musician. But even this with musicians, think about this. No one wants to be known as the one hit wonder. There's always the next album, the, what have you done for me lately, right? You may have been great once, but can you be great again and again no one's greatness lasts forever. But here in Psalm chapter 8, in a beautiful poem, David speaks 
to the enduring greatness of God. The language of this psalm, it uses words like majestic and glory, words that we often toss around in terms of human accomplishment, but we perhaps should not. The psalm is classified as a celebration psalm. It's, it's one where we celebrate God. It's a broad category, lots of them in, in the Psalter here. But this one is also a part of a narrower category, a creation psalm that praises God particularly for his majesty in creation. The theme of this, this psalm, it's clear. It's not, it's not hidden to us. It's, it's actually uh, right there before us. We have matching bookends in verse 1 and verse 8. It frames the big idea this morning that God is to be celebrated in his displays of majesty. We read it. It says, O Lord, our Lord, the names of God, the personal names of God, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And in this psalm, David seeks to show the why to this call to praise. Why is God majestic? Why is God glorious? There's no huge calls to action. There's no five points here to make your life better. This is a psalm about God. And it's enough that it is about God alone. It doesn't mean that we don't have application for us this morning, but this is a psalm about a celebration of God's majesty revealed in his greatness and his goodness. And so that's what I want to talk about with you. Two things, two displays of God's majesty. And the first one is this, that God's majesty is displayed in the natural world around us. And this is what we find here in verse 1 through 4. And it's talking about his greatness and his power. Verses 1 to 4 says, says that God's glory can be seen in two places. The strength of the heavens and God's power in weakness. God covers the heavens with majesty. The NIV talks about it in a little bit of words, in a different word, but the ESV talks about glory. In, in another creation psalm, Psalm, 1, psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens don't worship anyone or anything else. They know what they worship, and that is God. And so the purpose of creation is to magnify and declare the beauty and glory of God. You know, this sunsets are for savoring God. So many times we, we drive along and we come to this place, we go, man, that's a, that's a beautiful sunset, and we just stop for a moment. And so often we just stop and we just look and go, that is beautiful. But we don't reflect on the God who created the sunset. We don't savor God in that sunset. The heavens speak to David here about the reality of God. But it's not just his reality. It's his, the magnitude of what he has created. If you look with me at verse 3, it says that when David considers the work of his fingers, think about what God has created. Think about it. It's an image that we should not rush through. God didn't create the heavens. He doesn't use the language of with his strong arm. 
He doesn't even say he created it with his hand. He created it with his fingers. Think about, it's almost like the idea of a model, a hobbyist who is creating a model airplane and just doing all that intricate work. God has created the heavens with his fingers. Now, to help us kind of grasp this, to bring it into more clarity, I was listening to uh, Tim Keller this week, and he made, a, he made a kind of a, he painted a picture for me. I thought just helpful for me to, to share it with you today, together. And I invite you to picture the Milky Way with me, our galaxy, as approximately the size of North America. That's the scale we're talking about. The Milky Way as the size of North America. And in that scale, our solar system would be the size of a coffee cup. And the earth is a speck, barely visible, within that cup. That's, and if you're to, to grasp that scale, if you're to think about it, we know that we could see that there are hundreds of billions of the galaxies, not just the Milky Way. Now, why do I paint that picture for you? It's because I want you to follow me with this. David is saying that God created this with his fingers. How immense, how huge must God be to create this shaping the universe? Now, this is power. But God's, God's power is not just shown in his immensity. It is shown and displayed in verse 2. We don't want to just jump over verse 2 because it's there for a purpose. Verse 2 says that God established a stronghold from the mouths of children and nursing infants. Lots of babies in this room, okay? In the natural world, in the, in the animal world, in the human world, what are the most vulnerable things? It's babies, Right? Babies are utterly vulnerable to everything around them. They have no power. They need to be cared for. And David's point is that God uses weaknesses, weakness to overcome strength. With God's power, he can use the, wit, the weakness of an infant to defeat a mighty ar- army. Now we think that, that's just ridiculous. That's the idea. But that's what he's saying. With God's power... A baby could defeat a mighty army. And so I believe God is, that David is reminding us that God's glory is, is, is most visible. Not in our cunning, our thinking, our strength, but in our weakness and our dependence upon him. So what is the, what's the implication, okay, of all this. Why am I talking about this? Well, the implication as we consider the greatness of God is this. We are so often impressed by mountains. I've gone out to BC. I've been there. I've went out east to the east coast. There is some beautiful, immense mountains. And we are so impressed by mountains. 
or I've gone canoe, canoe camping in Algonquin, and I'm a bit of a, a waterfall chaser. I'll, uh, I'll hike a fair distance to find a great waterfall. And we love the beauty of the waterfall, but what we should really be amazed with is that God's metaphorical fingers have brought these things into being. David's reflection in verse 4 should be our reflection here. The question that is the centerpiece, if you notice, the centerpiece of this, of this psalm is a question that, what is, my, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Or in other words, who is God and why does he even think of us at all? Has that thought ever crossed your mind? Who is God and why, has he, why, does he even mind, why is he mindful of us? The question here is, I don't think David is talking about like a philosophical question. He's not, let's, put out, let's just put out a, a debate for a moment, okay? This isn't coming from a, let's just pose a, a question for us to debate here. No, it, it seems to be in the, in the context that it is, a, it is a question that is born out of worship and awe. This is a, a question that comes out of what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. And here is what I want to ask you today. I want you Listen to this question that I'm going to ask you. If God, in all of his majesty, desires this God, in all the God, God who, with his fingers, shapes the, shapes the universe, in his majesty, desires to enter into a relationship with you, would you invite him to be your assistant in your life? So often, when this is how we approach God, we invite him to help us. But we don't want to release control. We don't want to give our lives, surrender our lives to him as if we are the creator and he, and he is the created. Friends, we do not even deserve to assist him. That is the, that is the truth. It is God who deserves to be king, to be the master of our lives. But so often people, humans, even Christians, can become apathetic to this implication. The demand on our lives that, that, we, that is there because we are his creation. This morning we need a reminder of how small and humble we really are in a world that makes everything about us. We are small and humble as God's creation. But being small and humble does not mean we do not have value. And that's what is found in the second part of this psalm. That's my second point today, is that God's majesty is displayed through his intricate creation of human beings. It's God's glory, God's glory is displayed through the value and the purpose that God has placed and bestowed upon human beings as his image bearers. Look with me again in verses 5 to 8. We read this. He says, 
You have made them a little lower than the angels, as David talking here, and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You've put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, the animals of the wild, the birds of the, the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. When God created Adam, the first man, he blessed him and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. Genesis 1, 28 says these words to us. And David surely has these words in mind when he writes verses 5 to 8. And God grants his image bearers the right to have dominion over all things here on earth. But not just as mere ants or slaves. No, he's crowned humanity. That's what it says. He's granted a measure of authority to us to take the raw materials of this world, all that God has created and given, and for us to take it and to create beauty and to create order. To steward the earth. I don't know, I come from a, I'm not from a farming family, okay? Let's be really clear. But I come from 100 acres. I've lived around a lot of farms. And I've been friends with a lot of uh, Mennonite farming friends, okay? So I know that farming, okay, in this way, farming family has to steward the land. The land is not just productive on its own. It's not naturally productive. It needs to be tended properly in order to bring out the best, right? In order for it to to bring order and to bring beauty and to bring crops and to bring life. It needs to be tended. It needs dominion. But the fall of mankind has subverted the human being's dominion and rule. Now, to be clear, both from, this is clear, this is clear, both from the Bible, okay, and also history. Just look at history, because we see that man is not ruling the world well, right? Who here thinks that the man is ruling the world in a good way? Not a lot of hands, okay? So here's what we say here, is that there is chaos and pain and death. And is reading this week, a theologian and author, writer of the book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And, is, uh, and I was reading this book, and the author there thoroughly examines the barrier to our divine calling, which is sin. And in this book, he says, in sin, people attack or evade or neglect their divine calling. These and other images suggest deviance. Even when it is familiar, sin is never normal. The world is not supposed to be this messy. We celebrate the mess of the world. It was not intended to be this way. But despite our sinfulness, David sees God's glory in a calling here, a calling given to us. We are no mere insignificant ants to the God of this universe. No, we have value and purpose in our role as in the goodness of God's creation. Now, I must admit, 
there's a certain simplicity to this psalm that kind of resonates to, with me this morning because it, it almost reads like a prayer that I learned at a dinner table. I don't know if any of you have ever heard this one, but God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, right? And God's greatness is displayed in his immensity of power and glory. But on the other side, his goodness is displayed in the value he bestows upon his creation. And herein, it lies the application for this section of scripture, this part of, for our lives. In Canada, we are living in a society that increasingly demands denies the existence of a designer. Our public institutions, our education system, it does not teach the divine design as even a possibility. And many books have been written, have been seeking to refute the reasons for so many people. Books have to be written because so many people believe that there is a designer. So people seek to refute the reasons for why they shouldn't believe in a God who has designed the world. But without faith in a God who is both valuable, glorious, and gives value to his creation, we are at extreme risk. We are at extreme risk, and we are already seeing the results of finding our value in things that we're never meant to be. the things that give us value. We see this in so many areas right now. Adulation of beauty and pleasure, okay? You only have to be on Instagram for a few hours, few minutes maybe, to see the adulation of beauty. Every photo has to be, in many ways, retouched, re-angled. What's my best side? What's my best look? What what part of my life am I going to portray to the people around me? There's a new, whole new job that has sprung up called an influencer. Someone who, just by placing a product shot in their beauty shots, will try to sell something to you. We see this in our disproportionate pressure placed on singles in our culture. There's this idea that unless you're partnered up with someone, you're not as valuable. Such a sinful, awful idea. We see this in the empty pursuits of work and vocation that are devoid of giving glory to God. And I'm not talking about ministry here. I'm talking about your vocation, anything that you do to give gl- to, for work purposes to give glory to God. Because all work is Spiritual. We see an increasing flippancy to life, both for the unborn and for end of life. And most of all, I think we're seeing right now the, an increasing cynicism. I don't know if you'd agree with me, but you, if you just read Facebook for a little bit, you'll see an increasing cynicism about the world in which we live. We don't, we don't trust people. We don't trust the words that are given to us. We don't trust Media. We don't trust anything. We don't trust. We don't believe that any politician could have good intentions. 
we see this cynicism in our society and we wonder what the purpose really is. Is this all there is to life? Me being happy. And people are trying, trying, trying to make themselves happy and have value in things that were never designed to give them purpose and value. And the answer to this, to who we are and our purpose is rooted here in this psalm. There is more. There is a designer. We have value because he has created us for purpose and for relationship. But a life that does not celebrate the the goodness of God falls short of the design that he intended for them. And he intended for our good. Friends, our world will keep saying the mantra, you matter, you matter, you matter, you matter. And it is as if you could just, they're empty words. Because they think if they just repeat them enough, we can, we can give value to people. We can end the value and identity problem that we're facing in our society. But the psalm points us to this truth To this truth, you matter because God has created you in his image and he has a purpose for your life and it is to bring glory to him. Amen? Our identity is transformed when it is not centered on ourselves. God is not simply great. He is good. And his goodness is astounding. So this is the benefit of this psalm to our souls today. We need psalms like this to benefit our souls, to remind ourselves. We're reminded of our proper place and position before God. We are small. We, are, we need to realize this. And we're reminded of our significance and our value as image bearers, how good God is in this. And as I close today, I just want to say, we're also brought to a place of celebration of God in light of his majestic glory and his majestic grace. And I say majestic grace because as we study this psalm in light of the whole of Scripture, we'll see, we see how the gospel and our need of Messiah is connected to this psalm of praise. There's a a passage that I invite you to turn over to if you want. Hebrews chapter 2. And in this, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, the writer quotes Psalm 8, verse 5. I want to read this to to us. It says, I'm going to start in verse 5. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him? You have made them a little lower than angels, and you have crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subjected not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. 
But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that the grace of God, so by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In this, in this, heat, this passage, the writer quotes Psalm 8, 5 here, and then he comments on the totality of creation's subjection to the Son of Man. Okay? And in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. That's what, that's what the passage is really saying. And then the author of Hebrews doesn't just leave us in a place of a nebulous not knowing who he's talking about. He says it. He says the name. He says the Son of Man is Jesus. But we see him, him who for a little while has been made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. And because of our sinful state, our humanity has a purpose and a value that is fallen. But the good news is this, that Jesus Christ is the second Adam. He is the, he is the new Adam come to deliver mankind from death through the cross, burial, and resurrection. So the gospel message may not have been completely evident to David when he wrote the psalm. He may not have seen it, but there was an inspiration there that was consistent with Scripture. And in the inspiration of the whole Scripture, it shows us that the majestic grace of God is found in Psalm 8. That Jesus Christ is the answer for our fallen humanity. The gospel is the good news for all that ails us in our world. And I'm praying today that if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know that relationship with him, if you're not celebrating God, that you would know him and know that no one comes to the Father except through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I say this to us today. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for Jesus today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. For Psalm 8, there's so much more that could be said in just in one Sunday here, but I, I do thank you today for the fact that you are great and you are reminded us again of, of how small we are and yet we are valuable because of you. And I pray for anyone here today who is struggling with their value, with their identity, that, Lord, they would take their eyes off themselves, off this world that has got no answers for them, and they would fix their eyes on Jesus the author and perfect of our faith. God, we love you so much. I pray for this church. I pray that you would impress the, the gospel on our hearts so much that it, we would be missionaries to Kitchener and this region and to Waterloo and Cambridge in such a powerful way that you would raise up more and more disciples. And I pray and thank you for the fact that it's not about our power and not that you work in our weakness. And so may in the weakness of heritage grace, may you be great and may you save people and receive all the glory and praise. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.